0: Let's go ahead and open those Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 11. We're going to start at verse 17 and continue our look at the faith of Abraham. What we're seeing here is a whole bunch of illustrations drawn out of the holy scripture of the Jewish people. Uh, Book of Genesis is where we have been parked quite a bit already, but all of them illustrate that faith is the substance of things that you hope for, that is the Underpinning of it, and it's the convicting of evidence of things that you don't see with your own eyes. And uh, this is a necessary part of relationship with God, uh, because those who believe in God, uh, they must, those who want to trust God, they must believe in Him first, that He exists, and second, that He rewards those who seek relationship with Him. And so Abraham wants a relationship with God, and when God said, I want you to go to another place, I'll tell you when you get there, Abraham goes. When he tells him, uh, in your seed all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, Abraham kind of has a few little uh, hiccups in his faith, but eventually he trusts him and Isaac appears on the scene. He comes and blesses both Abraham and Sarah. But when Isaac grows up, but has not yet had his own children, God comes along and tests Abraham's faith. Says, Abraham, I want you to take your one of a kind son, the son of the promise, the son that all of the nations are going to be blessed through him and I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. And so this was the thinking process laid out right here in Scripture that uh, Abraham took at this point as an example of faith. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So this was the thought process of Abraham. God said, Isaac is the one through which my seed will be blessing the people of the world. Isaac doesn't have any kids. God wants him to be offered as a sacrifice in order to obey God and still see God's promises come to pass, God's going to have to raise him from the dead. And so that is why Abraham came within a whisker of cutting Isaac's throat, because he trusted that God had to bring him back to life life in order to keep his own promises. That's faith. That is the thinking process of faith. If God promised it, he will make it happen. If he says something uh, that seems to make that hard, he's already got a solution. I have to just trust him. Verse number 20. Let's talk about Isaac growing up. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. So he talked to and about his own kids, prophetically, because he trusted God. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, the one son that the promise was made through, uh, when he grew up, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And so that's getting toward the tail end of the book of Genesis, that even Jacob, now known as Israel, as he is dying, he he makes prophetic uh, revelations about all his sons, but he even zeroes in on the two sons of Joseph, being able to say that the elder is going to be the one uh, blessed, excuse me, the younger is going to be blessed more than the elder of those two sons. And it happened exactly as he said, because what was going on? He was trusting God. He was believing God's directives. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exit of the Israelis and gave directions concerning his bones. Uh, So Joseph, having uh, heard the story, that after 400 years, God was going to bring the Israeli people back to Canaan. Uh, Joseph made arrangements that when that exodus happened, that they would take his sarcophagus, his mummy with them to the promised land and bury him there in the inheritance of his family. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, they carted that, uh, that mummy case with them all 40 years in the wilderness until finally they buried him uh, very close to Shechem. Now, this is where the stories out of the book of Genesis end, and uh, we now go into the book of Exodus and others, and eventually we'll get into the Judges and, and uh, the, the Samuels and the, the Kings and the Chronicles. Verse twenty-three: By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So once, uh, Ab- excuse me, once Moses was born, uh, there was this great crisis going on. A-, a pharaoh had risen that didn't remember the story of Joseph saving Egypt. And uh, all he could think of is how dangerous it was to have all of these these Semites uh, living in his country, and he, he was very xenophobic, and so he wanted to try to work the Israelis to death. That didn't work so well, and so he put out the call that the baby boys should be killed. Uh, he wanted to still keep the ladies around to work, uh, but even that didn't work so much uh, because the... Um, Israeli women uh, would have babies before the uh, doulas could get there, before the uh, the uh, birth helpers could get there. And even when they got there, some of them uh, refused to uh, to kill the babies. But uh, during that three-month period after uh, Moses' birth, his mom and dad, uh, Amram and Jochebed, uh, they hid him to keep him from being found uh, because they believed he was special. Uh, And you remember the whole Bullrush's story where they uh, arranged for him to be in a little reed boat and be uh, collected up by Pharaoh's daughter uh, and raised in the uh, royal palace. Fantastic story. But all of that happened because... People trusted God to keep his promises. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, and remember, he grew up as the, kind of weird, as the ward of his own biological mother, uh, but the son, the adopted son of uh, of, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And so he was a man of two worlds, Uh, He had, no doubt, learned all things Egyptian, but he was also learning all things Hebrew. And so, by the time he hit 40, we're told, in the book of Exodus, he made a choice. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter— choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he made the choice at age 40, I am a Hebrew. I am on their side. I am trying to help them out. Now, he kind of jumped the gun uh, when he acted uh, ahead of time to uh, release the people from Egyptian bondage. And because of that, he ended up uh, killing someone. Again, I think it was probably manslaughter. Uh, But he ends up leaving Egypt and spending 40 years herding sheep uh, in the uh, uh, Jordanian wilderness of Midian. Um, But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that what he did when he chose to be a Hebrew rather than an Egyptian was he chose God. He chose the faith in God over the faith in uh, the power of Egypt. So verse 26, "...he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." Now, of course, he didn't know anything specific about Jesus Christ. Uh, We're talking here in the, the faith concept, that if you have faith in God, you're basically trusting that God will eventually solve the sin problem. And that, of course, happened in Jesus. So Moses put his trust ultimately in Jesus, Because he trusted God to reward him with eternal riches, not temporary riches here on earth. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. Now that tells us we're not talking about the first time he left Egypt, but rather the second time, that is the time of the Exodus, because the first time he left Egypt he was afraid because he'd killed somebody. The second time he left, uh, the Israelis went out with the power of God after the the ten plagues. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he looked to God, who cannot be seen in his reality, uh, but is still trustworthy. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. That's a reference to the 10th plague and the establishment of Passover. Uh, God had said that all Israelis, and apparently any Egyptians as well, uh, who would put their faith in God and butcher a firstborn lamb and put its blood on the top and the sides of the doorway and stay in their house, uh, the firstborn in that house would be safe from the destroyer. And so it took faith in order to experience that reality. Uh, The houses that were not so marked were the houses where death came. So, that is all a demonstration of what faith is about. When God says something, either a promise or a threat, you believe him and you act on it. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do do the same, they were drowned because, you see, they were not acting in faith. They were not trusting God. They were only trying to waylay the Israelis that had escaped. Uh, But the Israelis, they did trust God uh, because Moses was representing God, and Moses stood up there and raised his hand and uh, raised the rod and spoke the words, and the great wind blew, and the walls of water came up on either side, And the Israelis went through as if on dry ground. That was the way out of Egypt. And then, once they were on the other side, uh, the Egyptians tried to bring their chariot strike force through, and God collapsed the water walls. That is the difference of faith. The Israelis followed through with God's promise while the Egyptians realized God's threat. Uh, The threat was, if you do not let my people go, I will destroy you. I will take you down. Verse number 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, you don't typically take down the walls of a building or the walls of a city By marching around it seven days in a row, uh, blowing the trumpets uh, at the end of each of those circuits, or excuse me, six days in a row, uh, and blowing your trumpet at the end of each of those six days circuit, or then on the seventh day going around it seven times and blowing your trumpet and shouting on the seventh circuit, and then the walls fall down. That's not a demo project. That's not how you work it. But that's how God told them to do it. And so they believed God, trusted in his promise, and it happened. Now, by faith, Rahab the prostitute, who was right there in Jericho, uh, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. All you have to do is go back and read the Joshua story. Rahab had grown up, apparently, hearing the stories of the Israelis leaving Egypt and how God had brought them out with a high hand, with a strong arm, and how they were heading toward the Promised Land, toward Canaan, and that God had said that he was going to uh, evict all the Canaanites uh, and give the Israelis their land, uh, and those who did not leave would be executed. Rahab had probably seen with her own eyes the crossing of the Jordan River with the great glory cloud of God above the Ark of the Covenant when the waters of the Jordan dried up for many, many miles northward and the Israelis came across on dry ground. That was only four miles away from the city of Jericho, I think, and could have been seen. And so Rahab hearing all these stories, knowing that he who is was the great God of the universe. She said, I'm going to trust him, not the peoples of the land. I'm not going to trust the gods of of Canaan. I'm not going to trust the peoples of Canaan. I'm going to trust the God of the Israelis. And because of that, she hid the spies, and only her house, which was right on the wall, uh, was spared in the collapse of the wall on uh, this the seven-day uh, march episode. Now, verse 32, what more shall I say? So he's, he's kind of running out of steam here. He's like, wow, uh, I got myself on a run here. Uh, where should I stop? Uh, where can I um, uh, tie it all together? He says, "What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and his great uh, trust of God, where his his three hundred guys defeated tens of thousands of soldiers. Uh, Barak, uh, who um, uh, was uh, the commander during the time of Deborah, and he won a great victory. Could have been greater if he would just trusted God more, but." His faith was the source of the great victory uh, that happened uh, in the time of Deborah. Or Samson, who admittedly had his own issues, but in the times that counted, he trusted God, and it made a difference. And Jephthah, whose story is in the book of Judges as well, uh, it has its ups and downs— But mostly, he just trusted God, and God did great things through him for the Israeli people. Uh, Or of David and Samuel and the prophets, so we've got all these other illustrations galore. It takes a long time to read through all of the stories of the Old Testament, but all those stories have great power in teaching us faith, that we need to trust God in both his promises and his threats. And then we need to act on that faith. Verse 33, "...who through faith conquered kingdoms," you know, they won battles that they shouldn't have won, "...enforced justice," so they did uh, good leadership, "...they obtained promises," so promises were made and kept. They stopped the mouths of lions. Well, you know, that's definitely Daniel and his story, right? Quenched the power of the fire. That would be Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the book of Daniel. Escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. some of these uh, some of these phrases, we can't really pin them down to any one story because there's multiple stories that would fit because there's tons of foundational evidence for faith throughout the Old Testament. Women received back their dead by resurrection. We know of a couple uh, incidents where ladies had their kids, Uh, returned to them supernaturally. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Not exactly sure who that might be, uh, but there are examples that could definitely fit that, uh, so that they might rise again to a better life. So they believed that death was not the end for them. Uh, One of the things about Hananiah, Azarad, and Mishael is that they were threatened by their boss, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, if you don't bow to my idol, I'm going to have you killed. And don't you dare think that your God can save me or save you from my hand. And their response back was, Oh, great king, our God most definitely could save us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow because it's wrong. And so that is definitely showing faith in God, and I have a conviction that they believed that even if they were killed, everything would be okay because they would rise again. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. These are definitely examples Uh, in uh, the Old Testament, and in the intertestamental history period, too. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. Uh, There's actually a story that is prevalent in Jewish circles that Manasseh, who was a very wicked king, who thankfully repented, uh, had the prophet Isaiah who was contemporary with him, stuffed into a hollow log and then cut in half with a lumber saw. And uh, so that might be of reference to him. Uh, They were killed with the sword. Uh, They went about in skins of sheep and goats, Uh, so very, very basic clothing, which speaks of poverty, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, so they were the bottom of the tier, they were the bottom of the pecking order, the bottom of the social uh, structure, all because they trusted God rather than men, of whom the world was not worthy. So a little exclamation here by the writer of Hebrews, the world didn't deserve these people. They were such faithful servants of God, and they were treated like dirt. They were treated like garbage. The world didn't deserve to even hear them, because they were so much better than the people of the world, uh, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So they were, they were living off the land, hiding out, Uh, from persecutions, Uh, but all because of their faith. Verse 39, 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So they died without seeing the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. Now, what's the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise? that? Everyone who puts their trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ will have their sins forgiven, they will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and even if they die bodily, when Jesus splits the sky with the last trumpet, that the dead in Christ will resurrect first. And then the living in Christ, even if they're in jail, even if they're in the process of being persecuted, they will be transformed in the blink of an eye. And together, the living in Christ and the dead in Christ who have been transformed and resurrected will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and thus they will always be with the Lord. So, no one has yet received that promise. Everybody that's died in faith has died without realizing the fullness yet on this earth of his promises. Verse 40 Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So he finally lights back on his major theme, and that is all the Old Testament saints as blessed as they are, as such heroic figures that they are, even dying in horrible ways sometimes in the midst of their faith, none of them, none of them will get anywhere in eternity except through the story that we're telling. Jesus Christ, his Savior and Lord. He died for our sins, He rose again for our justification. He ascended on high to become the intercessor for us at the right hand of the Father. And he's coming again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is what will make all of us perfect together. And because of that, he is now ready to urge all of his readers, once again, to hang in there and to keep sticking with Jesus. Don't throw him under the bus. Don't throw him off to the side. Don't deny him. Don't ignore him. Confess him. Live for him. Die for him, if that's what it takes to prove your faith.